Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. Today, we will be meeting with Robert Koshu, who is a connection of mine through Twitter. Um, we've had a chance to get to know each other a little bit, um, but I thought that, you know, he's, he's a pretty great guy and, um, you know, that it would benefit you all to get to know him a little bit, too. Um, so with that, um, I'll pass it over to you, Robert. Um, why don't you introduce yourself? Thanks for having me, Brianna. Brianna, I really appreciate it. Uh, my name is Robert Koshu, as you said. Um, I'm a senior talent development specialist for TDECU. Um, I've been in talent development now for roughly 20-something years. I spent 17 of those years with AIG as a primary trainer at their group retirement and individual retirement contact centers. So had a large focus for a long time on contact center training. Um, I'm an active member of ATD Houston, just to kind of let, give a shout out to my ATD peeps. And two years ago, was very fortunate to study and earn my Certified Professional Learning and Performance designation. So kind of give you a little background on my, on my talent development background. That way everybody kind of has some idea of where I'm coming from and what I sure. want to look at. So thank you again for having me on the podcast today. Yeah, of course. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story? How did you get involved in learning and development and um, training in general? Right. Semi by accident, kind of like a lot of other trainers. Mm -hmm. um, I was really good at what I did and a training spot came open. Now, I had done some training background previously, done a lot of teaching, taught public school for a little bit and did some of that. So I had kind of a knowledge of training and a knowledge of what it was. So because of that and because of the position that was available, I went and applied for it and was accepted into it. And so as a part of that, I began just wanting to become a better trainer. So as I moved forward, I started studying what trainers really was. Some of the misnomers that occur when you're talking about training with other people and talking about training in general is a lot of people who are new in learning development or training they tend to think my job is to give them all the information that I have versus trying to learn to what it takes to really train somebody to equip them to do the job to make sure that we match that performance with the training. And so that's kind of when I started down another path when I realized that training wasn't just give them everything I knew, but to really start making sure that I was able to convey that information to someone in such a way that they could take it and use it as an on-the-job performance. That's great. Now, what kind of how did you how did your training, I guess, style change when you found that, that, that had that realization? I guess part of it was at that point it became more not as much lecture and me just talking and showing people, but really became making sure that if I had them go do an exercise it had to match the job skill that they were going to be performing out, on, out in the job. If it wasn't anything specific, say it's a leadership type training, then it became more of a facilitation discussion conversation versus having something where we sat and lectured and talked about, you know, the five methods of having a difficult conversation. That would still be presented, but on the back end of it, it would be a facilitation conversation followed by role plays where we move through is I came to the realization that training was really more about the performance. I kind of adapted my style to go fit with that as I moved through. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, that's great. And when you, as a facilitator, 
were you helping develop the training or were you just purely facilitation? At that point in time, I was everything. <laughs> so I literally was the quote unquote instructional designer, wasn't a true instructional designer at that point, but had to write my own training and then go and facilitate it. So one of the things I learned throughout that too was that has, it, has one thing worked for one class and maybe another part didn't work, I would go and constantly make tweaks. So I pretty, mu pretty much adopted to an agile mindset of training without really understanding what I was doing from an agile perspective was taking that and actually making constant changes to it. And that way people and that way we were always able to get the best input and the best facilitation, the best class for our people as they move through. That's great. And and I am in, in excited to hear you talk about agile. Um I just had a conversation the other day with someone um about agile um and how, you know, Traditionally, Agile was more of an IT type of focused uh, methodology, I guess, or, or practice that was used. Mm -hmm. And now it's trying, it's starting to move into other areas of business. Um, can you talk to me a little bit more about your kind of Agile process? Yeah. Um, part of what it is, is, is it's constantly taking the feedback from your classes and then putting that feedback back into your instructional design as you move through. So one of the things is that we'll do, we'll always take a survey at the end of class. And it's not just a survey, but we take the survey of, it's the smile sheet, the standard smile sheet that everybody thinks about when they think about a Kirkpatrick Level 1 evaluation. And taking that evaluation and moving with it to, okay, what worked, what didn't, based on the feedback, but then also going in and looking at the test and analyzing the test each class. So I've got one, one question that for some reason 30% of the people miss. Let's go back to our instructional design piece, look at the actual section where we talk about that. Why the answer in the way the answer is there consistency within that answer. Look at our consistency within the answer, go back to that small section and try to evaluate, is there a better way we can say this to where it gets the point across a little bit better. Finally, we go and we'll shadow and, and ping into our coaching process and take that information backwards into it and then also make adjustments based on the feedback we're getting from them at the same time. And so it becomes a constant cycle. One of the things we always talk about, I'm part of the Houston Agile Leadership Network group as well, and part of the things you always talk about with it is that Agile is a mindset for, for, an, for a company not just a methodology use. You have to have it as a mindset to where you're always constantly seeking change, seeking improvement to move forward. Yeah, you're 100% correct. Um, I use Agile too in learning and development and it's exactly what you're talking about. And I think that it, it really makes you uh, stay on your toes, you know, and you can't, your, your, your content, your processes, they just can't get stagnant because you're constantly revisiting them. So yeah, that's, that's, really, that's really great that you're using Agile. Um, so we had a chance to talk before um, a little bit about what was going on in 2013 and kind of how you got to where you are with your CPLP. Um, could you share that story a little bit? Sure. So due to a variety of circumstances that were going on, I ended up being the only person at my particular facility within AIG that actually was a trainer. So when I was responsible for training, approximately 200 people in two different locations. And so at that moment, I was about ready to just go totally insane because I'm the only person in a facility call center where 
I'm responsible for everything going on with training, as we discussed before, from design to implementation to everything else. And because of that, I'm on LinkedIn one day, and I happen to see a blurb about ATD Houston, Association for Talent Development Houston Chapter, and their fall conference. And I was like, you know what? I've got 30-something vacation days anyway. I'm never going to use all of them. I'm going to take a vacation day and just go to this conference. And I'll just pay for it out of pocket because I don't want to go through the hassle of trying to get a reimbursement for something that I'm not going to be able to. This is five years after the crash, so AIG is still clamped down hard on expenses at that point. And I'll pay for it myself. As I'm going through, I see, hey, if you're a member, you get a discount. Okay, I'll join too because it was only 100 bucks extra, so I'll go ahead and join. So I joined ATD Houston. Then I began to start going to the meetings, became more active, and it really became a lifeline for me because it showed me, number one, that I wasn't alone. I wasn't the only person that ever thought like that because there were times when I had people come up to me and go, why do you train that way? You should do it this way or you should do it that way. And I'm going, no, that doesn't work because, see, I've tried it that way and it just doesn't work. And I can't really explain why, but I know it doesn't work when I do it that way. And then becoming more active in ATD Houston throughout the years, becoming to the point that this past year I was the director for for ATD Houston Technology Conference. Along with a partner of mine, we co-directed and ran the conference together. And then in 2015, I kept hearing about the CPLP, Certified Professional Learning Performance Designation from ATD. And I was like, I I'm one of those, I'm, I'm a crazy guy, I like to learn stuff. It's probably why I'm in training. And so I said, that'd be kind of interesting. Maybe I'll do that. And so I thought, sat down and thought about it and said, I'm going to go ahead and do the CPLP. So in 2016, I was fortunate enough to complete my CPLP. And as a part of that, because now I believe that trainers have a responsibility to give back to organizations they're a part of, I actually co-teach ATD Houston CPLP study group. And we're fixing to start our new group, um, thinking next month in August, we're kind of laying out our timeline and everything and getting ready to start them. And so it was really just an affirmation thing. And the interesting thing about the CPLP, I did learn a lot doing my CPLP, but a lot of it was it gave me explanations as to why I was doing things a certain way. I could now go back to somebody, and this is one thing where, where the CPLP helped me the most was being able to sit in front of senior executives and tell them that, no, here's why we have to do training this way. It lets me tap into those pieces of adult learning theory and performance management to where I can give reasoning behind the things that I want to do from an instructional design standpoint. That's great. Um, so for people who you know may not be familiar with the CPLP process, mm -hmm. um, what, how, how involved, how rigorous is it to be able to get this? Do you have to take classes and get um, do an exam and then have continued education? Like, kind of, what's the what's the what's the overall process? I guess. So the overall process to obtain a CPLP, this is something um, you start out with. It is a knowledge exam of 150 questions based on 10 various areas of expertise from within talent development. After you obtain a passing score on that, you go through and then you do, now this has changed over time. It started out, you used to submit a work project. And I will honestly say the first time I submitted my work project, I was unsuccessful and then got caught up in, in the switch piece where they switched the actual 
certification process to a skills application exam. So it's a second exam of 150 questions where you go in and it's basically case studies with very specific questions back to that case study. And so one of the things I always tell people is, is if it's something you're really interested in, I would encourage everyone to do it. It really did give me the opportunity to really become a confident trainer and a certified trainer in addition, as I mentioned before, it also gave me the capability to go in and do that where I can explain to senior executives specifically why I'm doing things a certain way. Yeah, I like that. I think, you know, a lot of people, especially, you know, less experienced or people who are newer in a role, um, you know, going you know, they're, they're great speaking with their peers. They're great, you know, doing training for people who, you know, don't have as much experience as them. Um, but when they get into that C-suite or, um, you know, even just sometimes even management, um, you know, they have this, they're so intimidated by, you know, I guess this, this, this facade of power <laughs> that these people have. Um, and um, that's great that, you know, you were kind of able to, you know, through doing your C CPLP, just, you know, gain that confidence. Um, although I'm sure that even before you did the CPLP, you probably could have um, held your own in those, in those meetings. So I could, but what it gave me was logic, reasoning, arguments behind what I was doing. Mm -hmm. In other words, I could sit in front of a, in front of a person and say, well, no, we don't need to train all that. And they would mm -hmm. be like, well, why not? Well, because it's kind of need to know, and it's not need to know. It's something that's good for somebody to know, but they don't need to know it. And you're telling me i got to get it trained faster, but I can't do it if I have to put all this good to know stuff in there too. Right. Now I can tie it back to, okay, if I actually do too much good to know stuff, then it can create a brain overload from a neuroscience perspective where it actually creates cognitive dissonance and then someone can't understand it to where they lose the need to know because they're too concerned about the good to know and they can't yep. focus in. So it kind of gave me some, some other things that I was able to work within as I was doing my conversations to where explain people to explain to the C-suite and the management staff even that, hey, there, there's a reason why I'm doing the crazy things I'm doing in training. And I know it may look random and crazy, but there's actually some logic to it that makes sense as you move forward. So that gave me some real good capabilities to do that. Yeah, that's great. So tell me a, a little bit about what is the day in the life of Robert? Mm -hmm. So, um, at this point, I'm Senior Talent Development Specialist. I'm no longer with AIG. I work for a company called TDECU. We're the fourth largest credit union in the state of Texas, largest credit unions in the city of Houston. Um, in that role, um, I'm in charge of instructional design, which includes classroom facilitation classes as well as e-learning designs. Um, I co-administer the LMS system along with one of my other trainers. I am fairly new in the role. I just started in April. So still learning the LMS, she, she still has the primary features of that and handles that part, but I'm stepping up and kind of moving into that. In addition to that, I'm responsible for facilitating all of the training at our Lake Jackson facility. We have three separate training areas that we work in, one here in Lake Jackson, which is a small community just south of the Houston area, one in Sugarland, which is a suburb of Houston, and then another one in Hallettsville, which is kind of in west 
of Houston, kind of halfway to Austin, basically, if you're heading down I-10, if anyone's familiar with the Texas area. And so I'm responsible for conducting any classroom stuff that occurs in our Lake Jackson location as well. Excellent. So we're getting to the end of our time. Um, is there anything particular like to say, any advice that you'd like to give to people who might be listening? Yeah, one thing I'll tell every trainer, and I really work with this, is from an instructional design standpoint, a lot of times we'll get assignments from our, from our managers, from our senior leaders, even from our training manager. And they'll tell us, we're going to roll a new product out. And when that, it's time to roll that new product out, when we're told that, the first thing we want to do, we start developing a course. And instead of doing that, take the time. Um, when I was part of AIG, I was assigned to, there was a new Department of Labor fiduciary rule that was going to come out. Now, I'm a little strange. My wife was flying home from Arkansas. Her flight got delayed. So since I was sitting at the office waiting for her to land, my office at AIG was next to the airport in Houston, I actually sat and read the 700-page document from the Department of Labor. Like I said, I'm a little strange. But I took the time to analyze that, made a lot of notes on it. Then I went and sat down with our legal and compliance people and said, hey, what exactly are we going to have to do with that? Well, we're going to have to do this. Okay, what does that mean? Okay, what does that mean? Okay, then look at AIG's goals at that point, and then look at your company goals and determine how whatever you're going to train fits into those goals. Because more often than not, training has a habit of getting into a silo facility where we don't have the capability to really tie what we're doing from an instructional design and training world into those business goals. Take the time to do the analysis on the front end. I, I used to kind of joke with people that when I did that, they, they would really get irritated with me because I'll sit down and I'd spend 30 minutes just asking a bunch of questions like, for God's sake, go write the training. Well, I can now. I've already got all the answers I need. Because if, I, if you don't do that, then more often than not, you're, you're going to write a training that doesn't meet the needs, that doesn't take care of the performance that you need to address within your training. Tie your training back to the goals of the company and do your analysis on the front end. Even in an agile world, if you do that appropriately, then you can move forward much quicker through the different pieces and allow you to develop training that actually meets the goals that it needs to meet for the individual. So that's what I would suggest. That's great advice. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, everyone that's listening, be sure to check out um, Robert's uh, contact information um, so you can get a hold of him and follow him on Twitter and LinkedIn. And, uh, yeah, Robert, thank you so much for meeting today. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. No problem.